0: Hey Ryan, what's going on this week with you?
1: Well, like uh, you know, most people in the Buffalo area, I've been following the British Royals pretty closely for the past few years. Um, I gotta say, I'm a big fan of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. I think they're they're kind of normal people compared to the rest of the Royals. Um, you know, they're they're down to earth. They're not pretentious. Yeah. Um, you know, much like me from Buffalo, I was born here and I can never leave. You know, they, they didn't ask to be Royals, but they seem like. They're, they're coming out of it as better people. So, I know? think they're buying property in Sloan. Is that so? Yeah. It's uh, wow. one square mile of paradise in this, this, Sloan. This is, a, this is a breaking news story. Yeah. Reed, Reed, did you hear about this?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sloan- I get every notification on my phone about the Royals.
1: Yeah. BBC, uh, yeah. BBC America. Yeah, they America. send them right to your phone. Neil Gaiman directly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. No kidding. Yep. Well... We'll have to follow them closely. I hope they're doing well. Are, yeah. they, are they in Canada now, and they just can't cross the
0: border to get right? The buffalo? They're, 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 they, yeah. they they can't close on their house until the borders open. Wow! wow. So uh, it, there's a lot
2: of heartbreaking stories in COVID, but I have to say that might be the one that
0: really hits me the hardest. Yeah, so I, it's probably the raddest. It's the raddest. It's the raddest. I feel for them.
2: And welcome back to the Square Podcast, Buffalo and Western New York's premier podcast covering the royal family.
1: Good to have other things, among
2: other things, I suppose. Yeah, don't pigeonhole history, right? I mean, but if we had to be pigeonholed, there could be much worse places. There could be
0: be much worse places than the royal family. Uh, Hey, uh, you know what worked out really well for us
2: last week? We had a guest. We sure did. We had a banger of a guest last week, and folks, we've got a banger of a guest this week. I am so excited for our guest today, Dr. Russell C. Weaver. He's got so many titles, I can't even spit them out. He is officially the Square Podcast Director of Research. Um, Rusty, do you you want to slap us the official title you got going on? Uh,
3: You can just call me a number cruncher. That's that's pretty much what I do. I map stuff. I, I analyze data
2: dude, that's so sick. We've been, the one thing we've been missing is actual data. So to have the man behind the plans really here with us and explain what he's got going on is great. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation with rusty about, uh, Buffalo and economic resurgence and revitalization in the area. Uh, but first we just wanted to, I don't know, hang out around the square. What's going on in uh, the region, guys.
0: Oh, you know, just the normal things. Uh, uh, you know, this is going to come up, uh, this episode's going to come out a little bit after Election Day, but I did, as I mentioned last week on the show, um, I did go an early vote this week, and it, it was about a 40-minute wait in the town of Lancaster. Not too bad, because it was, you know, 50 degrees outside. You could tell that it was getting cold because everybody was dressed in, like, the variety of Buffalo winter gear. There was the guy in t-shirt and shorts. There was the woman in the parka. Um, there was the person with the walker. I mean, it was everybody in the different winter gear that you could possibly have in the city of Buffalo.
2: I, I've seen a few hoodie
0: and shorts guys. Yeah. Guy
2: Jim, did you say you had to wait 40 minutes in the town of Lancaster? Yeah,
0: it was it was about 40 minutes. Um, they only had uh, two machines going. Um, so it was a 40-minute wait. Um, if you've ever been to the... Uh, Municipal building in the village of Lancaster. The line was all the way through the parking lot down the entrance ramp to the side street that takes you to the Elks. So I know most of our listeners have been, they are intimately aware with the village of Lancaster and uh, they're geographers just like Dr. Weaver here. Um, so they know where everything is. Please that I'm stop talking using about. that term. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Weaver
2: MD. The next time I, I hurt myself, I am calling you Rusty. <laughs> Um, Jim, your big mistake, of course, is actually going into the line that was marked Democrat voters, because if you went in the line for Republican voters, you would have been in and out. So you really got to prepare for that uh, next time. But yeah, no, um, I also went and voted early. I went down to the board of elections on West Eagle street, uh, went after I worked out six o'clock in and out, no problem. So again, you're getting this after the election went down. Did everyone get that humble brag? You like that? Yeah. You like that? Oh, I work out. Yeah, I worked out. Nah, no, no big voted. deal.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, after months of destroying my body with beer and <laughs> like the worst fried food imaginable, I, I had to do something to balance it back out. So yeah, no, I was in and out. It was great. Shout out to uh, Erie County Board of Elections for you know much like the rest of the country, but really um, taking that big step forward with the, the early voting and, and having it available for people. And my only takeaway from, from that is hopefully we see this trend continue, right? Like I hope there's no regression on this. I hope there's no going back. You want to vote early in the future. This is going to be the standard.
0: Yeah. I mean, Erie County, I think is really doing it right. There's 37 locations that are open in Erie County. Um, I think that means there's nine or 10 in the city of Buffalo. And then there's at least one in every uh, town and city um, or municipality throughout the County, you know, it, Unfortunately, our our poor brethren in Niagara County only have two early voting locations, the city of Niagara Falls, city of Lockport, and that's it. Um, I mean, I guess it's better than Texas where they did one per county, and whether the county had 700 people who lived in it or whether it was like Harris County where Dallas is, um, only did one per. But um, I I still think it's been amazing. I think the turnout's been great. Um, Hopefully that turns out or means that there will be greater than normal turnout in Erie County and not that just everybody who would vote on election day is just voting early and turnout ends up being the same as it normally would be.
2: Well, Jim, you mentioned Texas. I mean, already with the early voting, um, I I think there's something at like something like 107% of their 2016 totals. Um, So I, I think it's hard to extrapolate across the board and I'm not the numbers guy. That's rusty, but uh, I think it the, the high turnout has to be nothing but a net good. Uh, Rusty, have you had a chance to, or again, did you have a chance to early vote?
3: <laughs> so I will be um, early voting right after this podcast. We have, uh, as Jim was saying, all of the towns have one site. And I'm way down here in the the town of Holland. And uh, we even have a site that's open right now until six o'clock today. So I'll be doing that later this evening. That's awesome.
2: And, and Rusty, I assume you're going to be... Uh, joining us in, in great celebration and shirtlessness and and tattoos once Nate McMurray wins, which is what our listeners will be celebrating as they listen to this podcast.
3: My goodness, shirtlessness doesn't even begin to uh, uh, to describe what what will be going on. I'd say with all of us probably if that happens,
0: there'll be there'll be car tippings and rioting throughout the 27th <laughs> district. It's going to be amazing. It, you would have thought like. Like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl and Philadelphia just turned into a war zone for a couple of days, there's nothing on what the twenty seventh district's gonna look like when McMurray wins.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so hype. I mean, I've got my my Carhartt Uggs on. I'm you know, I'm ready to cue up that iHeart twenty seven tattoo on my chest. Just it, I'm feeling it, baby. So hopefully all of our listeners are feeling it after election day. We're uh, you know, McMurr maniacs. You yeah. have to come up with a better name. And if he loses, Nate, you're always welcome on the square. Right. And if you win, you're especially welcome.
0: Right. Yeah, we'd love to have you if you're a member of Congress elect. Even if you're not, we'd love to have you. Um, you ran for basically three years straight for the position. Um, and you were Grand Island supervisor. So, you know, you, you are an elected official or were an elected official. You'll always have that. Sure will. Speaking of shirtlessness, uh, Mark Grisanti, a little follow-up for the folks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Is he also getting an iHeart27 tattoo? Because he lives in the 26th district.
2: Oh, no, he's going to get an iHeart26 tattoo.
0: Oh, yeah. Him and Higgins. Yes, yes.
2: No, what's going on with uh, our boy Marky Mark, Jim?
0: Oh, um, as was reported by Law 360, um, the New York State uh, Court Board uh, stripped all the City of Buffalo cases from his docket so i don't know they haven't made any further decision with him i don't know if that means you know they're going to let him continue to be judge, but he just can't oversee the city of buffalo anymore that seems to be pretty extreme city of buffalo being a pretty major part of his district
2: listen grisanti will always be a king to me just being a combination of like bill dotrieve and cotton hill like just always willing to fight and just take his shirt off like i i have to respect it um obviously the gay marriage vote awesome so whatever happens with uh with judge Grassanti,
0: you you got fans here judge yeah i mean you know we 100 support him um and not even in a joking manner like sometimes our support of nate mcmurray might seem although it's not we're totally earnest with nate
2: we're oh yeah slow your roll we're uh, we're 100% earnest. We we went we did that irony uh, loop where we started out like joking, and now we just like we fucking love him. So mm-hmm. we're we're full on with Nate, um, but definitely actually love Chrysante
0: for the stuff. Maybe not the fighting his neighbors part, but well, maybe first fight. I haven't met his neighbors. Um, we point. want to talk about uh, this week in the city of Buffalo. a New law was passed, signed into law. Yes.
2: Carroll's law Carol, uh, Carroll unfortunately I don't know the proper pronunciation pronunciation so try not to butcher it but uh Carroll's law regarding uh former Buffalo police officers where the name came from uh basically it was passed by the common council about a month ago it was signed into law by Mayor Brown um this week the week of the 29th mm-hmm. of October um for those not familiar with the law uh, it, it grew support this summer during the protests that we saw the specifics of the law. And I'm quoting this from the, um, the Buffalo news now um, under the new law. When an officer fails to intervene in an incident that results in death or serious bodily injury, the incident would be turned over to the Erie County district attorney's office. Retaliation in such cases could be grounds for, det- uh, for termination. Um, and yeah, I mean, what can we say, but that's a net good.
0: Right, it's a net good that it's going to encourage officers to intervene um, with other officers and prevent hopefully some deaths um, in the city of Buffalo. Uh, It's a good first step. There's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, I think we could all stay, say, or stay, but we could all say um, that needs to be done as far as reform for this BPD. But that's a pretty good first step to take.
2: Yeah. And again, I hate to be one of those, you know, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum type of people, because we live in this absurd time where, you know, the political spectrum just is so polarized and there's generally very little uh, area where you can kind of fall between that that makes sense to say that. But truly like whether you're somebody who, um, you know, thinks that we're at a place where it needs great reform or you're thinking like, hey, I'm a big supporter of the police or what have you. Like, I don't know. We all want the police to be better, to act better, and for residents of the city to feel comfortable and safe and that for officers to feel comfortable and safe reporting those in their departments who are not adhering to that standard. So I think no matter who you are, this is a net positive. Um, You might disagree, that's fine, but I think any reasonable person can look at this and say, hey, this is good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm encouraged when any police force uh, takes any public input and, um, I mean, in this case, it's the Common Council taking the the input and doing something with it, Um, which wasn't necessarily a given with the Black Lives Matters protest this summer um, that the Common Council would do anything. Um, I was want to get uh, the town of Lancaster has a survey out. So if you do live in the town of Lancaster, um, there's a survey that the LPD has out, Lancaster Police Department. Um, about the job they do, and it includes, do you think that they treat minorities different? Um, So you can answer that, and, you know, they happen to have thin blue line stickers on at least some of their patrol cars, so I'm pretty sure they treat minorities different.
2: I mean, you know, after Buffalo became (laughs) just a a lightning rod for the national discussion after the protester was pushed over um, by the police officers and, you know, seriously injured, like, this stuff matters and it has always mattered. Uh, not just when the, the national cameras are, are shining on us. So really addressing this now before the next time that happens, like before the next time we see protests across the country, like we got to get our house in order now. And you can say that about pretty much every city in this country, but why not us? Why not really be the city that's taking the proactive steps and really trying to rethink how we do things here.
0: No, I mean, and uh, I I think it's, like you said, it's a net good. Um, anybody who wants to argue that it, it isn't, um, I would love to hear your viewpoints on why you think. I, I wouldn't. I, no, I would I would love to hear that why they think that, like, intervening to prevent death would be a bad idea. Um, uh, but speaking of things that Buffalo leads on or could lead on, um, the blue Jays played this year in Buffalo and the baseball season just came to an end. And I think, you know, we'd be remiss to not talk about major league baseball since they were the Buffalo blue Jays this year. Jim, when you
2: were talking about, uh, intervening to prevent death, I thought you meant like when I thought you were going to take that to when the Dodgers didn't take out Justin Turner. Yes, <laughs>
0: so. guess they could have intervened to prevent death with the coronavirus with their, they're uh COVID nineteen third baseman. Um, they did, they pulled them after Major League Baseball made them. Clearly Rob Manfred had a couple of drinks because it was such a strenuous day. It's a rough day for him. I don't know, Rusty, did you see uh any of the game six for the World Series?
3: Uh so I just got to to see the coverage afterward of uh Justin Turner making his rounds and of course demasking, so all all wonderful stuff there.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got no problem with Justin Turner not leaving the stadium uh, during the deciding game of the World Series for his team. You know, isolate himself in the in the locker room or whatever and watch the game. That's great. Uh, but I've got a problem with him coming out unmasked and celebrating and ho- hooting and hollering and running around and just just exposing all of his teammates to the coronavirus. Um but I, I mean, uh, the
3: good news is that at least he and his wife will be able to quarantine together, so they won't have to do the separate rooms thing anymore. Right, um, yeah. See, they, it seems to be all in at this moment.
0: they can finally quarantine together, Maybe, they might have to stay in Arlington, Texas. They might not be allowed back to uh, Los Angeles for a while. But, I mean, what a be- better place than Arlington to hang out with when you're quarantined.
2: That's that's how I've always felt. No better place
0: in the world than Arlington.
3: But uh you didn't see uh
0: Rob Manfred after the game when he was awarding Cody Bellinger the uh World Series MVP?
3: Unfortunately, no, but uh from, from everything I've heard about it, that's my next Google image search.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh I don't know I don't know if there was something wrong with the commissioner. But it it certainly seemed like he was drinking. So Maybe there was a health issue, and and we shouldn't make light of it. But I haven't heard that there was a health issue, and it was all over Twitter immediately um, that Rob Manfred is shit faced and awarding the Commissioner's Trophy. Um, and you know, I've seen him speak before; he does not slur his words. He was a slurring mess.
3: Present that honor, the Commissioner of Baseball, Rob Manfred.
1: You thrilled our fans throughout the postseason with a great performance. You led the Dodgers to a World Series
2: victory, and it's my pleasure to recognize your great play with the Willie Mays Most Valuable Player Award presented by Chevrolet.
1: You know, maybe it's just um, corona fatigue, lockdown fatigue, right? And he's just had enough. He wanted to get out and do his thing. Jim, whom
2: amongst us hasn't been a snoring mess? Who amongst us? Who amongst us. Um, again, we're not a sports podcast, but uh, that, yeah, that leads into something you mentioned a little bit earlier, Jim. Uh, now that the baseball season's wrapped up, um, yeah, briefly touch on the Blue Jays in Buffalo. What do we think, guys? How'd that turn out, that little experiment?
0: I mean, I thought it was neat that the Blue Jays played in Buffalo. Clearly, they didn't want to. Uh, Buffalo was like its fifth choice for prom date. Um, they tried to play in Pittsburgh and... Baltimore and I I think they wanted to concede the entire season before they played in Buffalo but We were they-
2: just like the little millhouse figure like standing outside <laughs> the door like
0: eh? eh right yeah I shaved my head like you said to Bart <laughs> <laughs> Yeah but we we did have uh baseball in
2: Buffalo uh, some MLB baseball in Buffalo and as cool as it was like it just felt so felt so i don't want to say hollow like not getting to experience the games and yeah it would be on tv but you're watching a baseball game it could be anywhere right you know you're you're it's cool to say that it's in buffalo i just
1: drove very slowly down the 190 to watch the games oh that was you yeah, you were the guy me. doing that i was blocking the, the right
2: draft. you were you were ryan you're the guy getting out of your car and like the police came because you're watching the games right that's mm-hmm. yeah i i knew i knew but, it had to be somebody angry. i'm that asshole you're that asshole. I, I think it was fine. I do hope that, again, to the future, that maybe the, the Blue Jays say, hey, we have a pretty willing market here to accept us. Or maybe they'll just turn around and say, we're never coming to that shithole again.
0: Right. I mean, I think there's it's probably higher that they're never coming back. Um, They're just like Bon Jovi. We'll never see them again. But I would love if the, if the Blue Jays played one series in Buffalo. And like they could pick, like... Tampa Bay, like a team that's never going to sell out in Toronto. Like, don't pick the Yankees where you're going to sell tickets or the Red Sox. Oh, I get it. But pick, like, the A's or Tampa or Houston like that nobody cares about because um, even though they're good, just nobody cares about that team. Um, Just, you know, pick one of them and play a series in Buffalo. But speaking of Toronto teams playing in Buffalo... There has been a recent push for the upcoming NBA season to have the Raptors play in Buffalo. What do you think about that, Ree? The Toronto Raptors. You mean we're going to get to see Nick Nurse and Pascal Siakam and, and all the gang come here in Buffalo, is that right? Yeah, and and play at, I would assume, at the arena downtown, the Sabres Arena, uh, Key Bank Center or whatever it's called. That would be pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. No, it would it'd be amazing to have professional basketball in Buffalo. Um, I I don't know that it's going to happen, um, but I mean, I, I guess, I guess it could, you know, if we're entering a, a resurgence of COVID uh, or coronavirus or COVID-19, whichever one you want to call it. Um, not just locally, but across the country. Um, so, uh, there's a chance that you know the travel ban between Canada and the United States won't be gone by the time they start up the NBA season. And Toronto's going to have to play somewhere. Well, I know um, following the NBA developments
2: that they're looking to resume the season, there's a big push among the NBA owners to really like move the schedule up to make sure they get in uh, those Christmas games, which are the traditional hallmark of when the NBA season really kicks into high gear. Right. So they, they want to make sure like, Hey, those games are starting early. Um, I think as early as December 22nd, they're talking about getting the NBA season started so they can have those Christmas games. Um, so yeah, bring on the sports ball, baby. I would love it. Even if we can't be in the stands watching it, like I think, (laughs) look, baseball, I know, uh, you yokels love baseball. I grew up liking baseball a lot. It's, Kind of passed for me as is, is a sport that I loved. But I really like watching the NBA. I really like watching basketball um, when it's on. And just the idea that like, you'd have NBA teams in Buffalo playing in you know, our stupid little arena. And, and, like,
0: and it, like, it would be amazing if, if it happened, if the Raptors bought into it, and say they wore like, throwback like the powder blue Braves jerseys. That would be so cool. Right. Just, you know, everybody says McAdoo and they just go to town.
2: Yeah, it's funny because for so long, Buffalo had such an inferiority complex about Toronto. Um, you know, first we looked down on them for many years, and then, oh, just kidding, they're this absolute juggernaut of a city. And we had all these fears that Toronto is going to somehow like subsume us, like just take every professional sports team, steal our girlfriends, you know, take our houses, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in a place now realizing it started. In my estimation, anyway, with the uh, with the Bison's becoming the AAA affiliate for the Blue Jays, and I think that people in Buffalo are definitely starting to warm more to that sort of Buffalo Toronto partnership.
0: Um, so it would just be such a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, one hundred percent would be very cool. Um, today is uh, we're recording this on October thirty first. That's uh, All Hallows Eve or Halloween for you Ooh. folks. Um, and we did want to touch on like this year, uh, Halloween, uh, it's going to be very different than most other years, no trick or treating or very little trick or treating depending on the municipality you live in. Uh, I think most of them are encouraging people to not trick or treat. Rusty, you have a young child. Um, you do live in Holland where it's not really the easiest to trick or treat, but
2: and it's not recommended that you leave your house regardless.
0: Right. But, uh, would you even consider trick or treating this year?
3: No, no, I, I know there are a couple of events going on in the South Towns and a few of uh, my son's friends from school told him that they're going. but um i I just don't see the the reward for that risk.
0: So you can you can buy him candy yourself,
3: yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it's not the same if you get somebody's you know who's really feeling it up and giving it to you, then you you know it's loved. It's been through the ringer, and right. it's, you know maybe there there's something to that, but uh, not in our house here.
2: You get like those beat up like Snickers bars that were like clearly at the bottom of the bag
0: and they're all kind of like or like the the crumbly like three musketeers. Right. And you don't get the variety that you would get from going door to door because you're like, well, I got lots of lots of Kit Kats and lots of three musketeers, uh, but I didn't get any Biddle honeys and manned. It, you know it's not really Halloween if you didn't get a bit honey that you'll never eat i I
1: actually am I'm a bitto honey fan.
0: are you? I am I like. Yeah, it. well, you know like last week I said I eat horse, so <laughs> I guess we all have our own tastes
2: we We will surely give Ryan all the bitto honeys uh we have thank you yes and yeah uh, this this factors into lest you think um you know we're in a place where we should stop taking. COVID-19 seriously. And if you even remotely think that, you know, you're a fucking idiot, but um, we have gotten as of this week, uh, we had a report come out on the 29th from uh, governor Cuomo <clears throat> that the positivity rate uh, in Western New York in the region here is the highest in the state at uh, 2.5%. Um, and that was as of la- this past Wednesday, the 29th or the 28th, whatever the date is, uh, which is look, if you're looking nationally compared to the rest of the country, that's very good. However, that number is still very bad. Um, so please continue to take this seriously. If you if you are if you haven't, I don't know how the fuck you operate. But we've we're in seven eight months into this now. Um, I don't know what to tell you if you haven't been. But I personally want to have a Halloween next year. So if you want that too, uh, please you know follow all the
0: guidelines. Be smart. Get your shit together. Yeah, get your shit together. Halloween. I'd like to have St. Patrick's Day. Like you know, it's not looking good. I'm going to be so sad if the St. Patrick's Day is canceled. I mean, how many years in a row can the first ward be canceled? Well, okay, (laughs) (laughs) okay, (laughs) it's it's too close to home. So, um, but I mean, um, obviously, like. Like Reese said, uh, locally, um, we're back up. or Not to where the worst was, but we're back up. Uh, nationally, this week, um, we had over 100,000 cases in one day. Broke the record for the most cases in one day for the country. Um, the, to go from 6 to 7 million cases, I think it was, um, was the quickest amount of time to gain a million cases in the United States. Um, coronavirus hasn't slowed down. Wear your masks. Wash your hands socially distance, do all those things. For God's sakes, don't, don't lick each other.
3: Well, we do
2: that. don't do, you're right. Okay, no qualifiers. Uh, too late. Too, too late. And so on that note, <laughs> Rusty, we, uh, you are the man of the hour today, and, and what a man to have. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we will be discussing economic revitalization in Western New York, um, a topic that I feel like has been Either on the front of our minds here, or closely, closely near it for God knows however many years. Um, Rusty, before we get started here, let's let's talk about the terms of engagement. What do we what do we mean? What does it mean when we talk about like economic revitalization? Like what's going on?
3: Well, I, I mean, unfortunately, I think what you see in a lot of the headlines, economic revitalization is an influx of. Uh, you know, your sort of creative class establishments, your your bars and restaurants. Um, you know, we, we've all seen and probably appreciated all of the the new microbrews and everything that have come into the region. Those are usually seen as indicators of revitalization, new condos, new apartments. Um, but you know, that's revitalization really for just one segment of, of your society. So in terms of um, you know, providing better jobs to folks and and making sure they're earning a living wage, um, whether or not we're achieving that sort of revitalization is still very much up in question. So
2: what kind of, I have here, like, what kind of benchmarks should we be seeing? Because you mentioned, obviously, you know, we have the microbrews and we have all the fun restaurants and things in the area. Um, what are some of the, I guess, like, Real benchmarks that we should be looking at.
3: Uh, well, I, I mean, things to keep an eye on are the the number of people, like I said, who are earning a living wage for their circumstances. So that's that's tough to you know look at each household and think about their individual characteristics and their expenses and what it would take for them to live comfortably. Um, but you know, one of the the sort of blanket numbers that's been thrown out for a long time and that New York State has bought into is this idea of, of $15 per hour as being a minimum wage. You know, But whether or not that's going to be sufficient for a single parent who has two kids that um, are in daycare or require uh, other sorts of expenses like that, whether or not that $15 an hour threshold is enough is, is something to ask. And so what you want to keep an eye on in these situations are Um, your unemployment rates, but also your gaps in unemployment rates between different social and economic um, and demographic groups. Um, And, you know, whether or not the the number of people who are um, able to live and work in in relatively close proximity is is going up. Um, We've had great job growth um, compared to a lot of other regions here in Buffalo, Niagara over the past 10 or so years. But if you look at the geography of where those jobs are going, um, A lot of the higher wage jobs that are coming into Buffalo are being filled by folks who live outside of Buffalo. So it's almost a, um, a, a reverse sort of a benefit that folks in the suburbs who are in those higher wage jobs are living outside of Buffalo, paying taxes outside of Buffalo, but then coming into the city to make a, a good bit of money. Um, And then the the other jobs that are being created are your your retail and lower-wage jobs that are mostly out in the suburbs, and it's our residents from the city of Buffalo who are having to to migrate out and take those lower-wage jobs and then come back in. And all of those mismatches really stretch people's budgets thin, and it it makes uh, living conditions and and quality of life diminish.
2: So I'm going to use the big scary G word, uh, gentrification. Um, are, Are we seeing that here, Rusty? Is it because... Man, I feel like anecdotally, which is all which is all I've got for you, folks, uh, maybe anecdata at best, but um, at least it feels like there has been some measure of gentrification here in Buffalo. So, Rusty, I'm going to this is a bit of a two parter. But I mean, is that what we're seeing here based on what you've seen? And is that necessarily a bad thing?
3: Um, So I I think that it would be hard to argue against the fact that gentrification is occurring. So um, I'm I'm sure you're all super familiar with what's been happening um, over on the west side, more adjacent to Elmwood. One indicator to keep an eye on, um, annually the city holds an in-rem auction where basically the the properties that they're able to foreclose on um, and sell off um, to the private market in an auction format. Uh, Looking at those properties, my colleague and I, we've been tracking uh, those auction results for a, a good 12 or so years. Um, and for the longest time, um, there weren't any distinct patterns to those results, but you know now we see that the properties that are over on the west side go almost instantly. That's often they get bid up pretty high. Um, and then there are some areas, I, I don't want to call the east side a monolith because it's, it sure isn't, but there are some areas on the east side where they continuously get struck back to the city, they're adjourned, they're not being bid up. Um, and so just looking at, at that pattern where you can't, you know, and this is a, a bad way of saying it because it's not like this, but where you can't give away a property, where you can't sell it for super cheap at an auction, that's an indicator that you have, you know, something going on in those locations that's not contributing to this narrative of revitalization, where in another area where you see private bidders just swarming and, and getting in and trying to buy up every single property that they can, you um, and then looking at the the sort of zip code analysis of who's buying and seeing that they're coming from all across the state or even you know outside of the country, that's an, an indicator of speculation. That's people that are wanting to buy those properties as cheap as they can get them, rehab them, flip them, and and ride the wave that's going on over on the west side. Um you know, I, I I know you know uh, this since I, I was around a while ago, but I used to live up in North Buffalo off of Hurdle Avenue in a house that's um, At the time, I thought it was really expensive when I got it for $140,000, and right now it's assessed at like 220 dollars um, And so th- those sorts of dynamics that are going on, it's showing you that we have this huge influx of value into those neighborhoods, those areas adjacent to Elmwood over on the west side, up in North Buffalo on the east side, where you have all of these amenities, you have these great mixed-use neighborhoods. We're seeing the footprints of those neighborhoods start to, to creep out a little bit and cause some gentrification and rapidly increasing property values in those areas. But we have other areas of the city that haven't benefited from that revitalization at all.
2: So it's pretty clear we have the gold rush here, Rusty. It sounds like as <laughs> you mentioned that there's plenty of speculators from kind of all over the map who are just trying to get their little piece of land here in Buffalo and, and hoping that, you know, the figures kind of take that exponential growth rate, um, that we've been seeing, I mean, God, looking at some of the the property rates in the area, um, I've had some friends who who live in the actual city have their uh, property values reassessed recently, and of course, their taxes have gone up. Um, I mean, what does that do? like is is that something I guess what I'm trying to get at is i there are folks on the other side of this argument here because when we talk about gentrification generally, it's a you know, it's a, it's a bad thing. Like I think about, um, all the folks who just get displaced from their homes because the property values are too high. They get pushed to those first ring suburbs. Uh, but people on the flip side of that, who may or be, may not be behind, uh, certain marketing campaigns, uh, to not keep Buffalo a secret or to keep Buffalo's I'm not sure, but, and I don't know those folks specifically, but my point is there are a lot of people invested in the city who will say like, Hey, we've got all these people coming from outside of the region, coming to Buffalo, even if they're not living in the city, they're bringing their dollars here and that's stimulating more jobs. I mean, what do you, what do you say to that? Like there clearly is like more actual dollars here in the region than there might've been 15, 20 years ago.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But then how do you turn around and use those dollars, I think, is the big question. And so I think we're still hung up uh, a lot in this region, not just the city of Buffalo, um, but in the region in general. And looking at, you know, the indicators that we care about are all quantitative. They're they're growth metrics. They're how much of something can we have? How many jobs? Um, How many people? Is our population growing? Is is the, the size of of the number of occupations in our region growing. And so that's why you see these pushes to bring in things like Amazon warehouses or anything else that will increase that quantitative number of jobs. So you, you can point to that and say, hey, that's increasing. But you know, rather than doing that, let's look at the quality and let's unpack the quality of those jobs. How many people are going to be getting healthcare? How many are going to be um, you know, earning a living wage where they can uh, sustain their families on those jobs, where are they going to live? Are there properties around that they can afford to live at those rates? Um, Or is it going to be one of these situations, like I described earlier, where you're going to have to live in a a lower cost apartment in the city of Buffalo and commute up to um, Amherst or somewhere else for a a retail job where you're not making a ton of money? So those are the types of, of things to keep in mind. Um, more dollars is good, but if we use those to then subsidize jobs that aren't quality jobs that aren't paying a living wage, then what's you know really the value? We're we're flushing a lot of those dollars away if we're trying to spend them on economic development that's not bringing in jobs that uh, that give our people a better quality of life.
0: Right, and and so like a lot of the jobs, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, As we see, like revitalization tend to be in the service industry, right? Like more restaurants opening, uh, microbreweries, distilleries, bars, that type of thing. Um, And while those jobs, you know, you can make okay money as a bartender, but for the most part, jobs in the service industry, especially, you know, um, that part of the service industry, don't pay the wages that we consider middle class, And so you're not growing the middle class. What you're growing is people who have second jobs or people who are struggling to make rent because they're making 12 bucks an hour and rents $1,500 a month now.
3: Right. Yeah. And and that's exactly it. You're sort of growing the poles and taking away the middle. And I mean, that's no clearer than what's going on in our recovery right now from the pandemic. Um, I I don't know if... uh, if you guys are as interested, and I am in some of the, the real-time data points that come in, but there's this project that's being co-led by Harvard and Brown University. Rusty, uh, well, let me Track stop you the right recovery. there. No, nobody is as interested in those
2: data points as you. <laughs>
3: uh, that's probably true. That's probably true. But if you go to tracktherecovery.org, um, what this this team is doing is they're trying to see based on you know, real-time payroll data, what jobs are coming back and what jobs aren't. And if you look at Erie County, um, you know, we're, we're doing much better than a lot of the rest of the nation. Relative to January, we're only about 5.2% uh, down. Uh, our jobs have only decreased by 5.2% from January and, until now. But if you look at where the, the gains have been made, uh, the number of what the, the program classifies as high-wage jobs have actually increased relative to January. So even though we have this pandemic where we have massive job loss, massive unemployment, there have been more high-wage jobs um, in Erie County than there were at the start of the year. But low wage jobs are still about 22, 25 percent behind where they were in January. Right. And and so the jobs that were growing are, again, they're growing for higher wage individuals. And often those are the, the people that are paying taxes somewhere else, not in the city of Buffalo. So even though the city of Buffalo might benefit from establishments where people come in and spend money uh, when it comes to property taxes and everything else, well, we do have, you know, really high property values and and really, High housing prices in some areas. Um, it seems that a lot of the jobs that we're filling are are still having this you know spatial mismatch to them, where they're they're going to people that aren't living inside of the city.
0: So is that one of the reasons why you see stuff like, um, you know, I was pulling up some of the data like, as of 2012, the most recent US government data I could find like Buffalo is the sixth poorest large city in the country at like 30.9% of the population living below the poverty level is because the highways jobs that do occur are attracted to people who then move outside of the city
3: yeah and I, I, I did not bet about this at, at the end of last year and I had to admit in that that I'm one of those people right I, I'm somebody that has a job that's based inside of the city of Buffalo I don't live there I don't pay taxes to the city um, and so I, I'm part of that wave and, um, you know, unfortunately I'm not the only person like me that, that's out there and so, um, you know, this idea or this question of, of how do we create good high paying jobs for the residents who live in the city is the big one because when you, uh, you know, factor in this, this equation where if the low wage of the service industry jobs are occurring or growing outside of the city, and people from the city have to go to those jobs. How do they get there? Because our public transportation system, let's face it, isn't super great. It's terrible. Um, it sucks.
0: Yeah. It sucks. Uh, it isn't super great is a very nice way of of saying it is atrocious. And they, they continue to cut r- roots. They continue to wait, uh, raise fares and cut roots at the same time. Exactly. It's uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's you know it's. Clearly, you know, somebody who's never taken a, a base-level macroeconomics course is setting up the NFTA, coming up with the idea of, like, well, if we, if we reduce the amount of services we offer and raise the fares, we'll definitely make more money.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, if only that's the way it worked, right? Um, but uh, and that's uh, that's one of the biggest problems here too. When we talk about revitalization, it's maybe a subtle indicator, but a good public transportation system is a sign of revitalization because that means that people can get to where they need to go. They can get to the jobs that they're able to to go out there and get. And so, you know, whenever we start to see our, our public transportation system improve, maybe then we can start to talk more about those those great signs of revitalization.
2: <clears throat> uh, yeah, I this this whole discussion here reminds me of there was a great um, cartoon in the Buffalo news. Um, I think it was a couple years years. Ziggy. Back. It was Ziggy. Our boy, Adam, Adam has yeah, Ziegler. Oh, actual Ziggy, right. Hagar, the horrible. <laughs> that was it. Um, no, it was, I think it was Adam Ziegler who did it. It was, uh, like the one, it was like the two halves of Buffalo and the one, like the, the front, the head had the top hat on and the monocle. And, you know, it was at a party somewhere? And then like the back half was just like completely rotted out and, uh, withered. Um, So, I mean, truly, like a lot of what's happening in the rest of the country, um, you know, you hear talk of like two Americas, it feels like we have two Buffaloes, which is really interesting because, um, at least from my observations of things, that Buffalo tends to be sort of behind the curve with what happens at the National Trends, Rusty. Um, Are we now, have we caught up with the rest of the country where we're in that two Americas, two Buffaloes?
3: Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, uh, I, I've written a, a bunch on this, too. Um, so some academics like to call this the dual city trajectory. Um, and that's, you know, it, that's what we're, we see everywhere. And, and not to, to go too um, anti-capitalist, but that's just the, the nature of the beast, right? That's, that's how our system is built right now. Um, and, you know, this driving force of inequality, we're seeing income inequality increase. Um, right now, that's also correlating in uh, in the city of Buffalo with slightly increasing residential racial segregation as well. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, the, the solutions to it are, are big systems changes. They're not uh, attracting new firms and, and saying that we can bring in a thousand new jobs here or there. Um, there are big systemic changes that, that we need to focus on if we're going to change that uh, bifurcation that you're talking about.
0: Right. And, you know, like even if, if the Grand Island uh, Amazon project had gone through, I mean, those jobs pay, what, $17 an hour. And how is anybody from the east side going to get to them? Right. right. And, yeah. I- and, the, you know, the, the racial segregation, um, you know, the east side is often shorthand for where black Americans live, black Buffalonians live. Um, but the city is well segregated. It's, it's not mixed um, with the exception of maybe, like, the west side, or especially northern west side, because um, uh, as we've talked about earlier, a lot of the west side is gentrifying, but the area around, like, Grant and Lafayette, I'm thinking of that area, uh, or between Grant and Niagara Street or Long Lafayette, um, has some decent mixture, whatever that census district is. Um, I don't know offhand, uh, but... Um, Go ahead, Ray. Well, oh, no, word. no. I, Jim, I was just going
2: to say what you mentioned reminds me of the talk about the medical campus a couple years back. That um that they were specifically talking about um bringing the medical campus into the Fruit Belt area of Buffalo, which is... um you know, I don't know the statistics necessarily, but I do know that there's a higher minority population there. And the argument was going to be that, Hey, we're bringing in the medical campus and that there's going to be this influx of jobs for people living in that area, um, in different roles, um, service roles within the medical campus. Um, rusty, I guess, like, obviously Buffalo is, is heavily segregated, unfortunately, but I mean, has there been any, any pluses to bringing sort of jobs, these areas, like I know we're talking specifically maybe about the Amazon plant in Grand Island, people from the East side can't get to, but have we seen any pockets of it where we've seen job growth in those, you know, traditionally economically downtrodden areas, or is it just, is it just real bad man?
3: Well, uh, you know that you bring up the medical campus. That's interesting. So I've been piloting this, sort of index of, of equitable job growth or equ- equitable economic growth that analyzes all of this relatively micro level uh, census block level data and looks at you know what we can see in, in some of these data sets is journey to work. So wh- what census block do you live in and what census block do you work in? And, and we can track that. And so one of the, the biggest weighted variables that we were including in that index is whether or not people that live in a neighborhood in one of the, the city of Buffalo's planning neighborhoods actually work in that same neighborhood. And so, uh, you know, looking at sort of the, the span of data around the introduction of the medical campus, there has been um, an uptick in the number of people that live and work in that community. Whether or not those were pre-existing residents that are taking those jobs and now working in that community is another question. That I don't have the information on. And so that I, I think it would be more helpful to, to do some, uh, some ground truthing. And so uh, you know, one of our preeminent researchers in Western New York, Dr. Henry Lewis Taylor, um, you know, has contributed to some studies over in the Fruit Belt area. And a lot of the, the more qualitative work in, and in talking to people, you know, some of his recent papers have found that the perceptions are still that all of the jobs and the benefits are going to white gentrifiers and, and not to the community.
2: Rusty, you're our boy. You're, you're my boy. You're Jim's boy. You're, you're I don't know if you know Ryan too well, but you're Ryan's boy, of course. Um, I want to I wanna talk to you on a personal level now. Uh, we talked the big numbers. We talked the overall Economic stuff. Um, we can touch more back on that, but you are a Buffalo expat. So you, you're the prodigal son, made good, come home. You were real smart when you left us. You broke our hearts. You left for greener pastures. And then, you know, you did it. You did the damn thing. You went out, became Dr. Weaver. Uh, just. I that, that was done in Buffalo. That was done in Buffalo, but you truly became a medical doctor in other locales. You picked up a lot of skills along the way. Um, no, you became this great researcher. I, sh- I should say, um, but you brought it all back home. You're, you're you know, back to the Buffalo area. What has it been like for you personally to, to leave and then to, to make that trek back home? And, and what's that been like for you? And, and what can you sort of extrapolate from your personal experience?
3: Uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. So Buffalo is one of those places that's that never really leaves you. And, um, you know, when I, I came to Buffalo, um, I'm actually from Western Pennsylvania, which is very much like Western New York. So not not too many differences. Um, but I came here and got involved in, in AmeriCorps and then got involved in uh, local politics and local government for a long time. And when I decided that it was time to, to go to grad school and try to learn some new skills, uh, Buffalo is my muse, right? It, it was the, the place that I studied. I was interested in neighborhood level dynamics in Buffalo and what that might tell us about other shrinking cities or other post-industrial cities, where there are leverage points for making change. Um, and when I left, I, I left because my, my wife was actually offered a, a job down in Baltimore. And so she moved to Buffalo for me, so it was a good trade. And, and we, we left and went to Baltimore. Um, And then, you know, spent time in Southern California and Texas since then, gone for almost 10 years. Um, But Buffalo was always that place that we considered home, even though neither of us were from here. Um, It it really was to us, you know, sort of a a big town where you could um, see a lot of familiar faces pretty regularly. And, um, you know, because of that and, and because I continued to study Buffalo after I left, it was still my, my primary study area. It was always the question of, of when we would be back, not whether or not, you know, whether or not we would be back. It was just when. And so an opportunity opened and, um, and we cashed in. So it was an easy choice. Buffalo um, has a lot of assets. I know I'm supposed to be keeping it a secret, according to a lot of the, the marketing <laughs> campaigns out there, but um, you heard it here 1st let well, Let's bust it wide open. Buffalo,
0: no longer a secret. Yeah. Holland's still a secret. <laughs> right. keep,
2: keep Holland a secret. Keep Holland a secret. Don't
0: tell anybody about Holland. Right. The Tulip Festival is just for Rusty.
2: <laughs> um, no, in a lot of ways, Rusty. I mean, I, I, I have stayed, other than going away for college, I've, I've been here in Buffalo this whole time. Um, it's real weird to, like, have seen it change while living inside of it. Yeah. Um, Jim, I think you certainly have the same experience, Ryan, you know, we're all just a bunch of jokers who stayed around the area for the most part, um, visually like seeing things have, is there anything like that you've seen like physical differences in the area? They are just like, what the hell happened here? Or is it?
3: Uh, so, yeah, one, um, and I think it's, it's probably the prime example is the inner Harbor. Um, you know, so that just wasn't there when I was here before. Um, And now it is. And why it's the prime example of good things happening in Buffalo is because that was a process that had so much community input and participation that drove that to become a public space and not something that's cordoned off and, and just available to uh, sort of your your economic elites that 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 became a, a truly public space, and one of the big reasons is because a lot of organizations and a lot of activists work really hard to make that happen, and that's how that's how we get to economic revitalization. Yeah, but it's it, that it, grassroots it, level cooperation.
0: It it would have been better off as a Bass Pro, right?
3: <laughs> you know, I uh, I really I, I could use a a new shirt, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, if, uh, if, I, if, I tend if we to wear the exact same flannel shirt it, every day, it, so a bass is, pro would help me out with my wardrobe. Maybe I don't know.
1: It is not flannel fest.
3: Yeah, it, <laughs> uh, it it would mean
0: at least like you know some place you could take the kids and be like, look, we can watch somebody fish inside.
3: Yeah, you, you know, there's there's that for sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, so uh, I'm, it, I'm sure it would still be open now too <laughs> if, if
2: that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Like the Inner Harbor as a, as somebody who's lived here, um, seeing that happen in real time, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing. And I know we've discussed on this podcast, um, really sort of our mission statement sort of stemmed from, uh, Thursday at the square and how, you know, it's, it's morphed into this thing at the Harbor. Um, I mean, are we, are we seeing sort of, even externalities. That's my big SAT word for the day. <laughs> um, are we seeing sort of externalities even, even in something like the Harbor, which we consider to be a net good? Like what are sort of the pitfalls that we have to watch out for? We've got this awesome inner Harbor or outer Harbor area. Um, it's really come along, but I mean, what do we got to watch out for with the good stuff even?
3: Yeah, and, and that's sort of what I, what I was talking about before with the nature of the system. So anytime you have something good like that, it attracts people because, you know, people like to go to those spaces, they like to patronize those spaces. Um, and so all of a sudden, when you see that in, increased demand, that becomes marketable, it becomes something that's monetizable. Um, and so you know you, you'll you'll start to see that it's more difficult to find a parking space, or all of a sudden things are getting more expensive in that area. And so it becomes less available to you know us ordinary people that that might like to use it. Um and so that's going to create uh, higher property values around that area. It's going to lead to higher rents. Um, and that all all spills out and trickles out. So those are you know prime examples of of externalities, like you were saying. Um, and that means it's it's not a zero sum game where that takes away from another part of the city. But you know what that does is is it does create this almost cluster of a lot of activity and investment. And what we've seen in Buffalo and this redevelopment phase is that the investments are going to magnets for investments, where uh, the where we continue to see, Uh, money spent on economic development, it's in these hubs that have already been strong commercial corridors or uh, strong spaces for mixed-use neighborhoods and mixed-use development. And what that does is it makes them even more attractive to other people. And so that's, you know, it's just a demand and supply problem at that point in time. A lot of people are demanding things in spaces like that. We have a limited supply of them, and so that raises the value of those spaces, and it's going to start to spill out and affect the surroundings. Um, and that's, you know, it's not necessarily a good recipe for equity.
0: Right. I, I was going to bring that up is that it's, it seems to me like in the city of Buffalo, with the exception of some of the spread into the west side, for the most part, it's just the rich areas getting richer. Um, Elmwood Village, you know, 15 years ago, wasn't hurting for. You know, being a good, decent place to live and having decent property value. Hurdle was not hurting for being a decent place to live and having lots of restaurants and bars and antique shops and bookstores and hydroponic stores, if if that's what you're into. Um, You know, Allentown was a slightly lower rent, but still a bustling, you know, restaurant bar uh, situation. Maybe catered more to a younger crowd than Elmwood or Hurdle. Um, but we don't you, you see a lot of development there. You don't see as much on, say like Jefferson.
3: Yeah, um, and I, I think that's the the big problem and, and how we're starting to get a lot of misperceptions maybe about our own city and these narratives of, of a Renaissance. Um, and part of that is you know whenever we talk about a place or a city in Renaissance, generally the way we do that, a lot of the pundits will will use data points. But those data points are aggregated over an entire city. And so, you know, one of my favorite examples is the website WalkScore.com. A couple of years ago, WalkScore put out um, its list of, you know, the top 10 cities where uh, you could walk to all of these amenities, the top 10 walkable cities where you could also afford to live. And and of course, famously, Buffalo made that list. I think it's at the number two city. Um, and so... You know, One of the, the papers that, that I did with a couple of colleagues uh, uh, not too long ago, uh, we tried to break into that narrative and see that, yeah, there are some you know, amazing walkable neighborhoods in the city of Buffalo, but they're spatially concentrated and yeah, you know, there are some really cheap houses and cheap rents in the city of Buffalo, but they're spatially concentrated. And also they're often not very good units. The quality of them aren't, aren't uh, super great. And so when you, you start to, you know, attack that narrative a little bit, you can see that, you know, you get that story because when you average all of that together, the good kind of outweighs the bad. And so it brings your average number, you know, over to, to the good side, but you know, that's uh, you know something that doesn't uh, – again, like I said, it's not a recipe for equity. It means that a lot of our population is still underserved.
0: So if – let's say in a, a hypothetical where somebody who was running for common council or, or was a common council member or was a county legislator or was somebody in the executive branch in either the city or the county wanted to make a difference, what would be actual policy actions that they could undertake that would make a difference – um, across the board?
3: Uh, that's a great question. And there, uh, I I mean, there are uh, at least two members of the common council that I can think of that, that are out there, um, who are asking very similar questions and doing some of this work. Number one is the city of Buffalo owns a shit ton of property. Um, you know, there are so many vacant lots, uh, that's are out there, maybe collecting garbage or collecting debris that the city owns. Um, you know, they, they try to manage them as, as best as possible, but you know, one of the biggest stores of value in, in our economy and in our society is land. Um, and so yeah, finding a way to to reuse that land, even if they don't want to transfer ownership. Um, you know, so many people call it city-owned land, but that's public-owned land. That's that's mm-hmm. land that is is owned by the taxpayers of the city of Buffalo. And even if the city doesn't want to relinquish title to that, finding ways to creatively reuse it or make it community space, um, that is going to contribute to the the quality, the the civic space and the sh- social space inside of neighborhoods. That's going to contribute to. The quality of life in those neighborhoods, that's a big difference maker because right now the policy is to sit on that and wait for them to uh, to appreciate in value and then sell them off at auctions or uh, through very archaic, um, you know, real estate mechanisms through the city um, to put them in, in the hands of private bidders. So we're going to go out there and make a profit off of them by putting a unit on it or something like that. Finding a way to take those properties and actually, you know, Push the value of that right into the community and, and into the people that need it is, is one big thing. Um, another one is, you know, of course, we have our different funding priorities if we're going to be a, a common council member or anything like that. Um, but democratizing public funding is, is the big one. So council member Rivera um, is ahead of the game on this a couple of years ago. From his discretionary budget, he sort of put it out there and said to the community, "How should I use this?" And he used a participatory budgeting process, um, and the community went through and pitched projects and voted on those projects, and they they found, um, you know, what they collectively agreed on should be funded. And something like that—it doesn't sound like a major change, but it's going to shift the priorities of, of what we're actually spending money on. It's going to make that a community-based participatory process where the community knows best what they need and what uh, resources should be spent on. So that's that's another policy uh, to really push and, and go after and try to make things better for the people that are living inside of the city.
2: Rusty, forget about the uh, political bigwigs and fat cats who, <laughs> who all listen to this podcast apparently. Um, put those aside a moment what what do we say to uh what would you say to the schmucks like like me and Jim and ryan and and presumably the the rest of the non-political listeners uh, to the show um what should we be doing like I know we live in this era right now, especially again for the listeners this will be right after the election but in the lead up to the election we saw renewed vigor and civic engagement um at least with the actual election part of it um I'm hoping that, That continues. Like I hope people just stay as engaged and into, you know, stuff politically and locally and civically. So we want to really harness that energy if we can. Um, What would you say to you know your average Joe who wants to help? Like what do we do? Which what what are the avenues we should really be focusing on? It's it's rioting, isn't it?
3: (laughs) Of course, of course. Uh, No, that's so that's the million dollar question. I wish I had the answer to that because that varies. Um it's it's going to be very context and situation dependent. Um, but the the big answer is to realize that even if we we do see uh, some different election results after next week and the administration changes, nothing else really changes at that point. Um you know what needs to happen is uh, 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 lack of a better word just because I'm not thinking straight. It's a Saturday, so my brain's partially shut off. Um, but you know, there there needs to be a, a takeover of institutions. So um, you know w- w- the the way that I have built them in previous writing is that there are three big strategies that need to happen together and be interconnected to push for systems change. Right? We need to disrupt the existing patterns of activity and that's what you know Black Lives Matter demonstrations and and protests are doing. They're putting Um, You know, any any sorts of boycotts or anything like that, that puts economic pressure on institutions to change. Now, that level of disruption is going to cause institutions that uh, just maintain this inequality that we have in society. That's going to put pressure on them to start to change. That's one thing. The other is, you know, is to capture those institutions. Once we put pressure on them to change, infiltrate them and slowly and um, systematically over time change their goals, their values and and what they think... um, Mm -hmm. Is is success? What their definition of success is? Is it just maximizing profits, or is about uh, is it about being a good citizen? Um, and then the third strategy is is prefiguring. You know, doing what we want right now. This is about setting up alternative institutions that lead to equity. And so this is what Cooperation Buffalo is doing in building. Um, you know, organizations that are worker owned, that are democratizing work and ownership um, and allowing people to to make a living for themselves in, in a way that gives them a say and a voice and power that they didn't have before. And so those three strategies are broad and they subsume a vast range of tactics that vary from place to place. But those are the things to keep in mind. Just keep pushing those buttons um, and, until we start to have a more equitable and democratic economy and society.
1: Rusty, would you advocate for a general strike?
3: Uh, I so speaking not for my employer absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) right, right, Um. right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those disruptive tactics or disruptive strategies that I was mentioning. Right, if we're withdrawing support for the for business as usual for the way things are done, you know, you or me doing that, or even you know. even though they're super successful, even an individual workplace doing that, that might create material benefits for that one workplace. But when we start to network those together and make that about more workplaces and more geographies and more places, that sustained um, and widespread pressure is going to be enough to start changing institutions and policies.
2: Rusty, you've been an absolute firecracker of a guest today. And thank you for taking the time to sit with us here. Yes, give all the applause. That's right. Give him all the applause. And Rusty, I would, uh, speaking on behalf of everybody at the Square, uh, would love to have you back in the future. Um, Do you got anything going on right now that you'd want to promote, pimp out? I mean, we'll, whatever you want, baby, we got you.
3: (laughs) Uh, So it's not launched yet, but uh, my unit is about to drop a living wage atlas for New York State, where, um, you know, what we've done is is comb through a ton of micro level data Um, scraped some data from the MIT's living wage calculator um, and looked at for every individual respondent to the Census Bureau's American Community Survey based on the number of kids they have, where they live, all of that, what a living wage for them would be. Um, And then what we try to do is show the percentage of people in each geography that are earning that living wage, the percentage that are not. We break that down by race, ethnicity, gender, all um, all, all of those breakdowns. Um, and then we look at occupations. And so basically, it's a way for us to put out an atlas showing what the best occupations in each region are for paying a living wage and what occupations need to be held accountable. So that's coming soon. We have about four or five other digital tools that are already launched that are open data like that. Um, so check out. Uh, you can access a lot of them through our website, highroadpolicy.org.
0: Nice. What's your, uh, What's your Twitter handle?
3: I don't have a Twitter handle. What's your Um, Twitter handle? God bless. That's
0: right. I
3: I went off social media and uh, went in the dark years ago. Nice. (laughs) See, this guy gets it. This
0: guy, this guy knows how to work it. Respect. So, well, Rusty, thank you. And, and once,
2: yeah, we will certainly, um, we will link to the website that you just described. And then, once, uh, once your project drops, we'll also link to that and we'll promote the hell out of it. Right. For yeah. yeah. So
0: that's uh, so for everybody listening. That's uh, Doctor Russell Weaver. Uh, he's an economic geographer. Is that right? That's yeah. That's fair. That's one title that you've had. I've seen it on television.
3: Yep. <laughs> and, television.
0: <laughs> and a, and and a director of research. Uh, where at? Well, you can find out and ask him on his Twitter handle. <laughs> All
3: right. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to go All vote. Right. Thank All right. you, Thanks, Rusty. Thanks. All right.
2: All right, and just another huge thank you to our guest today, Dr. Russell C., or as we love to call him, Rusty Weaver. Just
0: the man, Jim. Think we could have gotten a better guest for this topic? No, I mean, it's it's when you luck out where you happen to have somebody in your city who is um, just an absolute expert in the field and is willing to be a guest to talk to you about it, could not have been a better guest for us, could not have been a better interview just an absolute dream i can't wait for us to have him on uh maybe we could talk about something he's actually researching as opposed to something that we want to talk about
2: yeah no i would i would love to have rusty back on um big thank you this week to um, again ryan our man behind the scenes who will chime in occasionally he's rad he is rad um you know sometimes it's easy to make fun of him but he's just our, our beautiful sweet boy oh jeez, you're doing great uh, doing great, son. And yeah, um, I don't know. Like and subscribe, right? The old podcast standard. Uh, Jim, tell us where can
0: we be found. Oh, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Google. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, where Squad Pad, uh, squ- Square Pod Buffalo. Um, did, did you almost say the Squad Pad? The squad old, Pad, the Buffalo. Squad Pad. Yeah, uh, the old Squad Pad. That's uh, that's our sister show.
2: The squad. That's our compete. That's the competing podcast uh, against us.
0: Yep. So, uh, Square Pod Buffalo on Facebook. You can uh, like us, follow us there. You can follow us on any, like I said, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google. Uh, on Twitter, follow us at SquarePodBuff, Buff Um, If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at James Tamel, Tamol T A M O L ryan where are you on twitter yeah i'm at the real ryan steel the rad ryan steel the
2: rad ryan steel and me again off the sauce Uh, i am on social media i exist but i am not sharing much like rusty i've seen the light uh that being said i have been sucked on occasionally uh for this damn podcast to uh to feed my ego to see who is liking who is engaging and my God, are there a lot of you. So more than I would have ever even have dreamed of. Um, just want to say this is our, what, our, our fourth official episode, guys? Fourth official episode. Man, this has been just a crazy experience so far. Um, really having a chance to have just some really cool conversations and um, engage with people. We're, we're certainly going to try to engage more on social media and things like that.
0: Uh, yeah, engage with us on Facebook. Engage with us on Twitter. Tell us your ideas so we can ignore them preferably Twitter.
2: Right. Right. I mean, again, like the whole thing, we're in the spirit of being down at the square and just meeting cool people and having fun conversations. Like that's what we want. This isn't Mm -hmm. about, you know, whatever. This isn't about like anything other than just like having cool interactions with people, getting to know our city, getting to know the people around us. And in that sense, it has been a smashing success. So we're going to keep the, keep the ball rolling. Um, thanks again guys for listening uh for everybody listening and for new listeners hope you like it hope you stay
0: uh but that's all i got this week guys what do you got jim i just want to thank everybody for listening and uh we'll do better next time